You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 78. Hey there, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, scientist by day, writer by night. This is the show where I bring you my fresh new fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. Later in the show, I'll have an update for you on my current writing endeavors. But for now, let's get to this week's story. This week, I'm bringing you the second part of Chapter 23 in my Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. If you're new to the show, you should go back to Episode 24 to hear this story from the beginning. You can find past episodes at metamorecity.com and chrislester.org, as well as at the Google Play and iTunes stores. The following recap will contain spoilers. Our heroes have won the day against the agents of the Vampire Crime Syndicate. Metamore City Police Detectives Catherine Catane and David Silverleaf were aided in the battle by Kelsey Stanton, a talented young agent of the Lothanasi Order, as well as by Ezekiel Kapler, who was transformed into a powerful, tentacled monster by the magic of the Telvari Rift. Zeke has long been a thorn in Kate's side during this case, because he was convinced that the Lightbringers were conspiring with the Syndicate to steal control of the Rift away from his family. Now Zeke knows the truth, that the vampire spymaster has been manipulating him for months, feeding him selective information and setting him up with resources to mount a dangerous and illegal private expedition to the Rift. The vampires were hoping that the resulting scandal would doom House Kapler's claim to the Rift. Zeke took great pleasure in turning the tables on the Syndicate forces. He even saved Kate's life when he attacked two operatives that had incapacitated her with a flashbang grenade. In winning the fight against the Syndicate, Kate and her allies have bought valuable time for the other survivors of the Rift expedition, Misty Halloway, Julia Mathias, and Sephihin Lassos, as well as the disembodied spirits the three women are currently carrying inside them. These spirits include five inhabitants of the Telvari Rift and the ghosts of Hal Raines and Bernard Travers, the two members of the expedition who died before a way could be found to help them. The survivors are all waiting at the Nexus, the mana spring that forms the heart of Kaya's citadel and the source of her power. Now that the battle is over, Kate's friend Morgan Drowling has arrived with important news. They have a most remarkable visitor, and she is waiting for them all back at the Nexus. Things Unseen A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 23 Continued Sephi and Julia were sitting up and talking when Kate arrived at the Nexus. The life energy radiating through that place washed all the pain and weariness from her body, if not her soul. Still, her heart warmed to see the two women awake, conscious, and not on the verge of dying. We did it. 
Then she noticed the other woman in the circle of light. She was fairly tall, only a few centimeters shorter than Kate herself, with pale skin and short, silver-white hair, cut in a modern, asymmetrical style. She wore a gown of gray silk shot through with threads of silver, which matched both the color of her eyes and that of the stones under her bare feet. She stood in the midst of the column of light, her face composed, her posture regal. She gave Kate and the others a slow nod of greeting that was almost a bow. Welcome, detectives, she said. Kate's voice caught in her throat. She sank to one knee and bowed her head. Lady Majestrix, she said. Beside and behind her, the others bowed as well. Even Ezekiel. Rise, my children, said Majestrix Kaya. She smiled warmly. Our guests have just told me a most remarkable story. In protecting them from harm, not only did you defend the innocent, but you upheld the ancient laws of hospitality and the honor of my house. For this you have my personal thanks and gratitude. Slowly Kate rose to her feet. Her face grew hot with embarrassment, though she wasn't quite sure why. It was the right thing to do, ma'am. She thought about the body without a face. As near as I could tell at the time, anyway. Kaya arched an eyebrow. Indeed. The question of the right thing can be rather murky at times. In fact, that is the reason I wish to speak with all of you. A tendril of Sefi's hair brushed against Kaya's conjured form. There are complications, Sefi said. Exactly so, Kaya agreed. She turned to one of the doorways behind her and beckoned. Bring him forward. A tall man in an armored suit. No, a tall suit of armor without a man walked into the chamber. Omega the Automaton, Kate presumed. He escorted a bound and hooded man, dressed in the same tactical gear as the rest of the syndicate goons. Omega pulled off the hood, and the man looked up, blinking in the light. Kate saw slow recognition dawn as he realized who he was looking at, and he sank to his knees, his face going white. Majestrix, he whispered. What is your name, child? Kaya asked. Duncan, my lady. Duncan, you stand accused of seriously wounding a loyal defender of the Empire in the exercise of his sworn duties. In addition to this, you have allegedly carried unlawful weapons into my halls and granted entrance to forty-seven of the feral undead. Are these accusations true? The man trembled so violently that for a moment Kate thought he might be having a seizure. I... Yes, my lady. Kaya's expression turned sad. Why did you do this, Duncan? Have I wronged you in some fashion? As Agent Starson? The man shook his head vigorously, tears streaming down his face. His mouth opened, but nothing came out. Then why? She sounded genuinely mystified. This place is for you, Duncan. For all my children. Why have you brought suffering and violence into my house? Duncan fell face down on the ground, sobbing. 
My lady, I never meant to hurt you. I, I did what I did because my master commanded it. A shadow passed over Kaya's face. Your master, yes. She turned back to Kate. Detective Katane, Duncan attempted to harm you as well. What should be done with him? Kate stepped back, alarmed. What? Why are you asking me? My lady, she added belatedly. In the old days, when the peace of a house was broken, the injured party named the price of justice. I... Kate shook her head, closed her mouth, tried again. My lady, I'm just a cop. Somebody breaks the law, I bring them in. Punishing's up to the judge and jury, not me. Yet you meted out punishment to others this morn, Kaya said. Kate bowed her head and said nothing. I do not ask you what the law says, Kaya said after a moment. I ask you what should be done with him. What is, as you say, the right thing for Duncan? Kate swallowed nervously. Um... Shouldn't you be asking Janus, my lady? I have asked Janus, Kaya said. He rendered his judgment. Now I ask you. Kate looked at Duncan. The man was looking up at her, wide-eyed, sweating, and white as a ghost. He's a thrall, a contemptuous voice inside her said. Another idiot juicebag who got himself enslaved to a vampire. He made his choices, and he's got no one to blame but himself. And yet... Suddenly, Kate felt very tired again, and not even the power of the Nexus could cure it. Just a tool, she muttered. Kaya raised her eyebrows. Beg pardon? He's just a tool, my lady. Kate looked over at Duncan again, feeling a mixture of disgust and pity. He was a man once, with his own choices. But now he's an addict, a junkie, a slave to whatever the vampires tell him to do. Now he's got no choices at all. He's just a tool in somebody else's hands. Ah. Kaya nodded. And when a tool is used to kill, we punish not the tool, but the one who wields it. Exactly, my lady. Kate gestured at Duncan. We could put him in a hole for twenty or thirty years, and when he gets out, what'll he be? Just an old thrall. Probably no use for anything but food for his master. And the guy who sent him just gets off. A thrall's not going to turn Crown's evidence on his master, not even if we make the offer. Hmm. The Majestrix turned back to Duncan rubbing thoughtfully at her chin. Yet we cannot simply release him. A tool he may be, but a dangerous one in the hands of his master. Misty spoke up. Um, excuse me. She waved a hand. Anybody here ever heard of rehab? You would be the one to think of that, Julia said dryly. Misty ignored her. Seriously. I mean, you said it, detective. The guy's a junkie. He needs help, not jail time. Why is this such a hard concept? 
Kate looked back at the Majestrix, shrugged. She's got a point. Indeed, Kaya murmured. She turned to Omega. This bears further consideration. Take Duncan to one of the old dormitories and put him under guard. Make sure he has whatever he requires. She looked down at Duncan. We will speak again soon. Duncan choked out half-coherent words of gratitude, and Omega led him from the room. There is another matter that requires discussion, Kaya said, when they had gone. The events of the past few hours have drawn the attention of my Minister of Intelligence, to say nothing of the news media. Great, Kate groaned. So much for keeping this quiet. A shootout in the Citadel was about as unobtrusive as a major earthquake. In downtown. During live coverage of the Imperial Skyball Championship. That would seem to be beyond our hopes, Kaya agreed. She turned to Misty and the other scions. The world will learn how the rift has changed you, I'm afraid. My people will demand to know why you were brought to the Nexus, and it would be harmful to deny them an answer. Yet for the reasons our guests have made known to me, it would be unwise to reveal the full truth of what has transpired here. Wait, what do you mean by that? Zeke asked. Kaya said nothing, but looked down at Julia. Zeke did too. What's she talking about? Julia looked away, bit her lip, and said nothing. Jules? What's going on, babe? Zeke turned to the others. Safi? Misty? Kate closed her eyes and shook her head. For Eli's sake, just tell him, she thought. He's the next Baron Kapler. He's going to find out sooner or later. Another voice rose unbidden in her mind. We don't know if we can trust him to keep the secret. A third voice followed fast on its heels. Plus, as you've seen, he's kind of a self-absorbed moron. Oh, that is not fair, the first voice said. Kate looked up and noticed that Misty and Julia were glaring at each other. Holy shit, she thought. Were you guys telepathic this whole time and you never told me? Misty gave her an incredulous look. We weren't sure we could trust you, either. Why the hell would we tell you? Maybe because I put my ass on the line for you, Kate shot back, kind of like Zeke just did. Both women frowned thoughtfully at that. Sefi smiled but said nothing. Look, Kate said, forming the thoughts as clearly as she could. One of these days, either you guys are going to come out to the rest of the world, or somebody's going to find out about you in a way that we can't cover up. Since House Kapler spends more time running around the Rift Zone than all the other houses put together, Zeke's probably going to hear about it. If you haven't told him the truth when you had the chance, he's never going to forgive you for that. If you do tell him, you just might have an ally in the one place where he can do the most good to you. Misty shook her head. Zeke's a habitual user, and the Rift did something to him that made it worse. Hells, he set off a bomb right in front of you. He's sick. Kate raised her eyebrows. Oh, believe me, I agree with you. Zeke is a sick son of a bitch. But you yourself just said sick people need help. He does need help, Misty agreed. 
I've been telling Morgan that since last night. Okay, so how's he going to get helped if his friends push him away? Gods, who else could stand him enough to help him? Misty grimaced, but she turned a hand palm up in mute acknowledgement. Kate pointed at the amulet around Misty's neck. Remember what I told you when I gave you that? A self-conscious smile tugged at the corner of Misty's lips. Yeah, you said that we never really know if we can trust people, that we have to take some things on faith. Sephi grinned. Faith is the evidence of things unseen, she said. Huh? Zeke asked. It's from the Canticle of Eli, dear, Julia sighed. Honestly, you might open a book sometime. Zeke frowned. I know that. What's it mean? Misty came forward and put a hand on his shoulder. It means we're going to trust you, Zeke. It's time for you to know what's really going on. Getting Ezekiel up to speed took the better part of an hour, with Julia, Misty, Sethi, and Kate all taking turns sharing their parts of the tale. To his credit, he seemed genuinely horrified when he realized what the rift spirits had been through. This is all my fault, he said, in a tone that suggested that the idea was revolutionary. Gods, I was such a chump. If William hadn't suckered me into that trip to the rift... He shook his head. None of this would have happened. Shit. Guys, I'm so sorry. I fucked this up for everyone. Julia knelt beside him, took his hand, squeezed it. It's not too late to fix it, she said. The hell it isn't. Everyone turned to stare at Sephi. She had risen to her feet and now stood with arms crossed, glaring down at Ezekiel and Julia. Sephi? Kate asked. But as soon as she said it, she knew better. The look of betrayal in the woman's eyes could only belong to one person. You know what your problem is, Zeke? Hal asked with Sephi's voice. You have no fucking clue what it's like to face the consequences of your own actions. None of you nobles do. You screw up, you apologize, maybe you spend some time in rehab. The word dripped with scorn. But then, a few weeks or months or years later, everything's back to normal. Well, it doesn't work that way for the rest of us, Zeke. And sometimes you screw up bad enough that things can't be fixed. Sephi gestured at her body in a sharp, demonstrative wave of one hand. Ezekiel looked like he was about to be sick. How I... Gods, how... I don't know what to say. Sephi stood over him and shook her head in contempt. There you go again. You don't know what to say? Zeke, I overdosed myself with morphine so I wouldn't burn to death from the inside. What the fuck do you think you could say that would make that better? I don't know, Zeke sobbed. Tears were running from the corners of those nightmare eyes, and his body shook with grief. How, man, why did you leave? Why didn't you tell me what was going on? I would have helped you. Would you? Hal challenged. Or would you have done to me what you did to Julia? 
treating her like a toy you were afraid somebody'd take away from you. Julia's eyes flashed in anger. That's not what he was... That is exactly what he was doing, Julia, Hal snapped. You haven't figured this out yet? You were in love with him. I was in love with him. Zeke was in love with the way we made him feel. He doesn't give a good goddamn about anyone but himself. Then why did he risk his life for us just now? He didn't do it for us, Hal sneered. He did it for the same reason he fought Misty to keep her from helping you. He did what? Julia looked in alarm at Misty. Misty nodded grimly. Hal ignored this byplay. He did it for the same reason he blew up that parking garage around Detectives Katane and Silverleaf and Agent Starson. You did what? Julia stared in horror at Ezekiel, who lowered his head and would not meet her eyes. Hal's final judgment fell like a hammer. You get off on hurting people, Zeke. On controlling them. On wielding power. And as long as that's who you are... Your apologies aren't worth dog shit, because the next time it's convenient, the next time it serves what Ezekiel Kapler thinks he needs, you will do it again. Ezekiel closed his eyes. And what if... what if I don't want to be that person anymore? Sefi's hand found his chin, lifted it, bade him to look at her silvery, sightless eyes. He did. Then be different. She took her hand away and turned her back. And keep at it. Don't expect forgiveness overnight. Don't expect us to trust you very much. You have to earn it, Zeke. Ezekiel nodded heavily. I'll try, Al. For you. I'll try. Sefi's body trembled and then the anger drained out of her posture and expression. He's gone, she said. Went in the corner by himself. Poor Hal, Misty said soberly. Poor Bernie, too. They deserve better than this shit. Ezekiel cleared his throat. Um, you guys have seen this place. We're taking them, right? We haven't, Misty said. But our passengers have, so we can see some of it in their memories when they share them. Sefi's probably seen more. Right. Ezekiel wiped his huge, dark eyes and looked up at Sefi, seeming strangely vulnerable and small. Is it a good place? Will they be happy there? Hal and Bernie, I mean. Sefi cocked her head. Many paths... Many different directions. I do not know which ones they will choose. She smiled a little. But it is a good place. They will have a chance. And so will we, Julia said. Once we get the spirits back home, it'll knock down our new powers to something we can control. We won't have to worry about burning ourselves out. Or burning down any buildings, Misty added. Or that, Julia agreed. I hate to be the wet blanket, darlings, Morgan said. But has anyone considered how impossible it is that we'll get you back to the rift without anyone noticing? As soon as you step upstairs, the media are going to swarm all over you. Assuming Count Halloway doesn't get you first. 
Misty groaned and pulled at her hair. Fucking hell, she's right. No way is Daddy going to let me go back to the rift again now, no matter what the Lightbringers say. And if he does, he's going to be watching to find out why. I don't think my dad's going to let us go back there any time soon anyway, Zeke admitted. There's a way, Sefi said. Everyone stopped, looked at her. She gestured at Kate. Detective Katane is the key, she said. Divine blood creates the channel. Pour in, pour out. Kate looked at Misty, puzzled. Is she going crazy with the visions again? No, Misty said, though she didn't sound any more enlightened. What do you mean, Seth? Sephy looked at Kate. Wet paint on the park bench, remember? Wet? Holy shit. Kate flashed back to the night at the Hedonist Temple. Some of Suspira's divine essence had rubbed off John and soaked into Kate's aura. Like sitting in wet paint, Miss Fallon had said. What else had she told her? It isn't common, but some mortals have the blood for it. We've been living among your people for a long time, and the gods themselves have had their share of dalliances. I suspect that you'll find a few outsiders in your family tree, if you dig deeply enough. And Fisher had said something similar. Obviously, she's not completely human. There aren't many like her running around. Just enough to be annoying. Not completely human, Kate murmured. She looked up at Sefi. You're saying because I'm not fully human. What? How does that help us here? You can be a vessel, Sefi said. We pour into you. You pour into the rift. She shrugged. We never go near the rift. Everyone's watching us, so nobody's watching you. You take them home again. Kate was stunned. You want me to take the rift spirits into myself? All of them? You were supercharged with power from the rift, and you barely survived it. You're different, Sefi insisted. You are built to contain power. To carry essence. It is in your nature. Child, Majestrix Kaya said, Sephira is correct. Your aura can hold far more power than any ordinary mortal. Step into my nexus, and you can be filled with enough to sustain you and all of our guests. Kate glanced warily at the column of light. For how long? Not forever, Kaya said, but certainly long enough for the journey to Telvar. Trust me, child. I know power, and I tell you this can be done. Kate looked over at Misty, at Julia. Fragile hope filled their eyes. She thought of Hal, and Mr. Travers, and Imani, and the other spirits who hadn't yet told her their names. She'd taken at least one life today. She wouldn't let any more be lost if she could do something to stop it. All right, she said. They cleared the space around the nexus for her, except for Majestrix Kaya, who still stood patiently in the column of light. She beckoned to Kate now, her stone-gray eyes sparkling. Kate took a deep breath and stepped into the circle. 
It was like being bathed in sunshine while riding a runner's high, enjoying a good meal, and basking in the afterglow of great sex, all at the same time. Euphoria surged through her, and she gasped, stretching her arms out and throwing back her head. Mana poured into her, and she opened her spirit wide to receive it, channeling it into her center. Her aura began to glow visibly, first its usual blue-green, then a brighter cyan, then white, and still the magic flooded into her, never brimming up, never overflowing. She'd never held so much power before. She'd never known anyone could. She looked out at her friends and allies. The same expressions of awe and wonder filled every face. Okay, people, she said. Whatever you need to do to hop on board this train, let's do it. Julia stepped up first, her yellow eyes bright and confident. The swirling patterns on her skin began to glow with light. She stretched out her hands to Kate, palms outward, and Kate pressed her own palms against them. There was a sudden jolt of connection, like touching a live wire, and then something white and glowing rushed out of Julia's center, along her arms and into Kate's. With a flash of light, it vanished inside her, and then... Then Kate was not alone in her body. The sensation was like nothing she had felt before. She immediately had a sense of being watched, in a way that was more intimate and vulnerable than she had ever known. Thoughts ran through her mind that were not hers, a little like the telepathy she had heard earlier, but closer, louder, and yet still distinguishable from her own. She felt a rush of pure, innocent joy. Her body giggled, and she barely recognized her own voice. Hi, Kate, said the other mind inside her. I'm Imani. Now Kate laughed, and this time she sounded like herself. Hey, Imani, welcome aboard. Julia smiled knowingly and bowed. Take care of yourself, Imani. In spite of everything that went wrong, I'm glad I got the chance to know you. Before she could stop it, Kate's body grabbed Julia and pulled her into a hug. Bye-bye, Julia, Imani said with Kate's voice. Always remember you're beautiful, no matter what your stupid family says. Julia wrapped her arms around Kate and squeezed her hard. I'll remember, she said, her voice soft and hoarse. Then she let go and backed away from the nexus. Misty came forward next, and as she did so, she took off the amulet Kate had made for her, deactivating the illusion that covered her. The cat-slash-dragon-slash-demoness smiled at Kate with her broad mouthful of glistening teeth. Kate smiled back, disconcerting though it was, and put out her hands again. Misty, though, stepped into the circle and wrapped Kate in an embrace. Then, before Kate could react, she pressed her muzzle to Kate's lips in a kiss. Kate opened her mouth in surprise, and a forked tongue snaked inside her. There was another flash of light, another surge of connection, and a second presence joined Imani in Kate's mind. This one felt older than Imani, stronger. It also seemed a little embarrassed. Sorry about that, it said. Mysteria is very persuasive. 
Misty broke the kiss and stepped back, smiling wickedly. I can't let my brother have all the fun, she said. Kate felt her cheeks turn red. Damn it, I'm straight. Why don't they believe me? Misty bowed and backed away, letting Seffy take her place. The woman's fiber-optic hair flowed and fluttered through the air, shifting with invisible currents of power. Her unseeing eyes shone like mercury in the light of the nexus. You're not going to kiss me, are you? Kate asked dubiously. Seffy grinned. Some of us might want to, but no. Instead, her hair reached out and enveloped Kate, tendrils wrapping her from neck to ankles. This time there were five flashes of light in quick succession, and a host of new voices flooded into Kate's mind. The thoughts jostled around and overlapped each other. A mental cacophony, like an orchestra and a heavy metal band warming up in the same room. Kate summoned all her will and shouted a thought at her unruly passengers. Good gods, people, give me some room here! The flood of thoughts grew suddenly quiet. Not gone, but more like an audience, shushing themselves at the start of a movie. One voice responded for all of them. A woman, strong and confident. A voice of authority. It's your show, detective, she said. On behalf of all of us, thank you. Kate thought about bowing, but then realized the thought was probably the equivalent of actually doing it. You're welcome, ma'am. You seem familiar somehow. Do I know you? The other woman's presence flickered with amusement. You know my son, she said. Realization dawned. Dr. Cynthia Rains, Kate murmured. So Hal found you after all. He did, Cynthia said. And thanks to you, my son and I are going home. And that's the end of chapter 23. One more chapter remains. The Rift Spirits are safe, but it's still a long journey home to Telvar. And when it's all done, Kate must face the consequences for taking a mortal life. Find out how it all ends next week. Frank Herbert said, There is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the story. Well, I've got a lot left to say before I hit stop on the world of Metamore. So let's see how it's going. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 3,281 words this week, over the course of five hours, for an average writing speed of 656 words per hour. I wrote on six out of seven days this week. This week I made a little more progress on The Lost and the Least, though still not as much as I would have liked. I knew what I wanted to write this week, but I just didn't get as much time in the chair as I had hoped. I think I'm probably going to have to focus on consistency, continuing to write at least a little every day, and then work my way back up to higher word counts again. The book is now in the middle of chapter 36, 
and the manuscript is over 119,500 words. I'm starting to get some response to the fall pledge drive on Patreon. This week we had two new pledges, from Corinthia and David. Remember, if you sign up for a new pledge between now and December 1st, you'll be entered into a random drawing to win a signed copy of Divine Intervention, the second Metamore City story collection. If you're already a patron, and you've made at least $150 in total donations by the end of this year, then you'll automatically receive a copy of Divine Intervention as my thank you for your support. So tell your friends, give them copies of the podcast, leave reviews on iTunes, help spread the word about this show and our fall pledge drive. Details are at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. In addition, our latest piece of artwork from Ben Clifford is now up on the Patreon feed. This one depicts Kate and David's encounter with the hunter from a few chapters back, and it looks amazing. I've put up a sample at the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group, but if you want to see the whole thing, you have to become a patron. Again, that's at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641 715 3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show and you want to help me keep making it, leave a review on iTunes or review my books on Amazon. It makes a big difference in attracting new fans. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2016 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.